You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Welcome back, strong, feisty women. I hope everyone's summer has been going great so far and that you enjoyed those Title IX shows during our little summer break. This week, I am coming back to you with a topic that is always enormously popular, sleep. I don't have to tell you that menopause can send a wrecking ball straight into your sleep architecture. As an active performance-minded woman, you know that all too well. And of course, we have covered this topic on past episodes, including the one with Dr. Sophie Bostock, Save Your Sleep, and in some of the other episodes that covered cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, like the show we did with Dr. Elisa Broche. This week, we're covering sleep from some different angles with holistic sleep medicine physician, Dr. Andrea Matsumura. Andrea has a personal passion for helping women and specifically women athletes understand their sleep and its role in personal health, wellness, and performance. She has been the guest speaker for the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and has been an expert source for many podcasts and features. So we talk all about women's unique experiences with sleep issues, including fragmented sleep, how we experience things like sleep apnea differently than men, and how they didn't really even include women in sleep disorder research until the 1990s. Yes, my head is exploding. We also talk about conditions like restless leg syndrome and how they can disrupt sleep and a whole lot more. And of course, then we get into what to do about all this, including working with your circadian rhythms, whether or not to experiment with sleeping pills and sleep supplements, CBD, CBN, much, much more. I love this one. I got a ton out of it, and I'm sure you will too. All right, before we get to it, quick reminder to head on over to feistymenopause.com and subscribe to my weekly newsletter and blog if you haven't already. Each Thursday, we bring you the latest on health and fitness and hormones, so come on in and check that out. As always, you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. You can join our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group and be part of all of our 24-7 conversations there. I have an email. If you'd like to reach me, I'm at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. We have the Hit Replay Podcast Guide subscription service. Thank you all who have subscribed so far. You get a write-up on each week's show dropped directly into your inbox every Wednesday. You can check that out on feistymenopause.com as well. As always, if you like the show, please share it with your friends and on your socials. It helps us grow, and I really appreciate it. I would like to give a quick thanks before we get to it to Inside Tracker for their continued support of this show. I have been following some of their advice. I've gotten my blood work done and I have seen some improvements in my areas of blood sugar and cholesterol. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Inside Tracker, for your continued support. And enough of me. Let's have a word or two about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. 
A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match. And then use the code hit play, all caps, one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. 
As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. All right, Andrea, I'm very excited to talk to you today because you are talking about something that is so important and is near and dear to all of us. We're talking about sleep, how menopause and athletics affect sleep. And I'd actually, you know, you you specifically talk about having a special interest in menopause and athletes. And I'm curious, like how that came about, if you could just give us a little bit of your own personal history. Sure. So, you know, I was a primary care doctor for a really long time and uh, for almost 13 years, and I uh, dabbled in being a triathlete. So that was a lot of fun. So subsequently, I was in a lot of different clubs. And I had this whole subset of athletes that would come to see me. And, you know, over the years, I decided uh, that I wanted to really focus on sleep because everybody's health really hinged on sleep. And I decided to leave primary care and I went back to do a fellowship in sleep medicine. And then when I got out of my fellowship, I really started to focus really on women and sleep and then also athletes and sleep because there's just not a lot of data out there. There is data now emerging, uh, but it's it's something that I think is not paid as much attention to as we as we would like. Uh, sleep sleep is just really important, and it really hinges on performance, especially if you're thinking about being you know the professionals, the professional athletes, and then. For women, women historically have just been ignored, really. I mean, sadly, in medicine, it's quite patriarchal when it comes to uh, research studies, uh, you know, um, algorithms, workflows. I mean, you name it, uh, sleep, uh, women, medicine, it's it's all, it's, women are always second when it comes to thinking about medicine. And so when I started my sleep practice, I realized very quickly that women were presenting very differently in their uh, sleep symptoms. And then in fact, you know, gosh, throw in the fact that, you know, you want to manage that inner athlete. And well, you know, that's even, that's even much more difficult when women are moving through every decade of life. So I've kind of really focused on uh, first women in sleep, but certainly have kind of made it my mission to really learn more about how sleep affects uh, performance and how sleep also just affects the different genders. So, yeah. How are you seeing women presenting differently? Well, you know, so women basically have more fragmented sleep or they will. So most of the time when women are having any trouble with sleep and that, and, you know, I always draw a Venn diagram about sleep uh, for all patients because everybody always thinks about breathing abnormalities for sleep. 
you know, that's the thing that's advertised. Everybody knows about it. But in, in truth, it, I mean, your environment plays a role in sleep, your hormones play a role in sleep, mental health plays a role in sleep, other chronic medical conditions, any medications, whether or not they're prescribed or supplements, excuse me, that all can play a role in sleep. Um, you know, if you have pain, that plays a role in sleep. Um, and, and then there's also this psychosocial aspect for women that actually contributes much more so to, I think, women uh, than, than men. And so lots of women come in and their first symptom is, you know, I just, I can't sleep through the night. I have fragmented sleep. They don't typically have other symptoms. Like when we think about sleep disordered breathing, like snoring really loudly or stopping breathing in their sleep. And so then what happens is that a lot of women get it, 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 those symptoms don't get highlighted when they go see their, their clinician. And it's not until years of struggling that a lot of women will finally come and see me in a sleep medicine office and say, you know, I've had trouble sleeping for 20 years (laughs) and, you know, and it's, and it's because typically they're told, well, that's just normal. You just had a baby or you're taking care of your parents, or you said that, you know, you had some traumatic experience. So, you know, it just doesn't get, it doesn't get the primary focus that it needs. Um, But in fact, you know, women have uh, disproportionately have insomnia, disproportionately will have restless leg syndrome, um, much more so than men. And that can also be a factor in why women may have fragmented sleep, or women may present feeling tired. But most often women will say, I don't know if I'm depressed, because I'm tired, or if I'm tired, because I'm depressed. So, so let's, I mean, I'd love to dig into that a little bit. I mean, when we talked offline, you know, you had said that Women weren't included in sleep research until 1993. Did I hear that right? Yeah, 1993, specifically for sleep apnea. They okay. And really, truly, when I really look at the data, because I went back and I started scanning, um, you know, just research studies in general around sleep, sleep disorders, women generally were not in, included in pretty much any sleep data until the mid 90s um, or early 90s. And that's because hormones, because they would say, well, we can't, you know, rely on, on the data that we're going to get for, from, <laughs> from these women, because, you know, we don't know what stage, if they're menstruating with where stage they might be in and their menstrual cycle, or if they're perimenopausal, well, we don't know what could be happening with the hormonal levels. And then, and, and so, you know, and then postmenopausal women are kind of forgotten on some level. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's disturbing. So, yeah. So yeah, specifically um, in somebody did highlight in, in an article that I uh, was reading that, you know, for sleep apnea, the first, the first data reported on women and sleep apnea symptoms is in 1993. Um, that's, that's unbelievable. I mean, it yeah. shouldn't be unbelievable at, at this point. Nothing should shock me, but I continue, I continue <laughs> to be shocked. Um, let's dig into some of these, these lesser talked about sleep problems, especially with this audience who's, you know, perimenopause, postmenopause, uh, what is the risk of obstructive sleep apnea and is there a hormonal component or no, do we know? 
There really, there, well, so there really isn't that we know of uh, with sleep apnea other than it's similar to like cardiovascular risk, you know, once you're postmenopausal. So in essence, estrogen and progesterone may be playing a role in protecting that airway a little bit more uh, before menopause. But once you're postmenopausal, you have the same risk for sleep apnea, which does have a potential increased risk for cardiovascular and no cognitive issues. And they and women are not presenting in that same way with sleep apnea. So even in a postmenopausal woman, they are rarely going to have those typical symptoms of snoring, waking up gasping, uh, having somebody witness them stop breathing in their sleep. And incidentally, if you have a male partner uh, who uh, you're sleeping with, you're going to be less likely to, that male partner is going to be less likely to recognize any symptoms as opposed to having uh, a, a female partner. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I can see how that would happen. So, so then it gets even, you know, it's it, the diagnosis is then even uh, later for a lot of women who may be struggling with something like breathing in their sleep because they're not presenting with those same symptoms, but more so fragmented sleep. And typically, you know, I've been a primary care doctor, it's busy, it's over busy. And when somebody says, Oh, yeah, I'm having trouble sleeping, the tendency is to say, Well, you know, let's give you a little sleep aid and see if it works. But you know, there's just not enough time to kind of dive deep into, well, wait a minute, is it a timing issue? Is it an environmental issue? Is it a medication that you're on? Is there some stress? Is there mental health going on here? Is it a hormonal issue like hot flashes? You know, what's going on in your sleep? So then it, you know, you have this sleep aid and most of the time it doesn't really work all that well, but you know, people, if, if people cross that bridge to starting on a medication or a supplement, uh, what I often find is that they stick with it, even if it works terribly. <laughs> <laughs> Very often I have uh, asked people, so what are you taking for your sleep? And people will tell me about like the literally hundreds of dollars sometimes that they're spending on all kinds of supplements and medications to help them sleep. And this elaborate mechanism on how they take it hours before. And I, I always tell them, Hey, let's take a step back because you just told me how you start preparing for sleep four hours before you need to go to sleep. It's not working. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so I want to go through these before we leave sleep apnea. I am curious, um, what the, if the treatment is any different from, from, for women and what, like what our audience, what might be something that if they are having some of these issues, they should, is there anything they should look for that would say, oh, maybe this is sleep apnea? Well, I mean, certainly some women do snore. I mean, clearly if you have like the obvious symptoms, if you're snoring or you're waking up gasping or you're having anybody tell you, you stop breathing in your sleep. Yeah. You need to go see, you need to be evaluated. But the other piece might be that you're suddenly feeling like you have uh, insomnia, like suddenly you're waking up in the second half of your night. So for women, women typically will have mild sleep apnea, but it is more severe during their dream sleep, which is REM sleep. So for a lot of women, they'll be able to fall asleep pretty easily, 
but then they start waking up and have fragmented sleep in that second half of the night, because that's when we do more of our dreaming. So often say, well, you know, I get like a good three hours, but then afterwards I have this really horribly fragmented sleep and I don't know what's happening. And that's my clue that, well, you may have REM related sleep apnea, which means that you have all these clustered abnormal breathing events when you're in REM sleep, but overall your sleep apnea might be mild. So, you know, that's, that's how it's very different for, for most, not all, and it's not black and white where it's only in women, but I would say a lot of women tend to have that type, that, that, um, different phenotype of sleep apnea, if you will. What do you do about it? So the treatment is the same. It's basically, uh, continuous positive airway pressure or CPAP, which is the acronym for that. It's basically air. It's air that works like a splint for the back of your throat, because that's where most apnea happens. There's other forms of apnea, but for the most part, obstructive sleep apnea is happening at the back of the throat. And so then you use air. I love, it's my favorite thing to prescribe because air doesn't really have a lot of side effects, <laughs> pretty much need it. Um, but you can also use an oral appliance or, uh, you know, it's also called a mandibular advancement device. And that's good uh, for mild to low, moderate sleep apnea. And some, and, and some people who have just plain, simple, severe sleep apnea, then that's a, an option. And those oral appliances are, uh, for the most part, they're made by a, a dentist or a prosthodontist. Um, and that's to pull the lower jaw forward in millimeters, literally to open up the back of the throat. Um, and then there's a, an implantable device that's kind of gaining um, some of the, of the market around uh, stimulating basically the tongue to push forward when you have these apneas. So it's the same treatment option that there is for men. Although women tend to have some uh, barriers around CPAP one, because it's, you know, it's a machine, it's a device. And plus, you know, all those, inter we call them an interface, but it's a mask and it can be in the nose, over the nose, under the nose, over the mouth. But, you know, all those masks are made for men's faces. I knew you were going to say that. I knew that was coming. I knew it. <laughs> they're, they're not made for women's faces. And, you know, I, I remember I had somebody say, yeah, but I got one for women. It, it's, it's pink and it has a butterfly. And I'm like, yeah, that, 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 that's right. It's pink and it has a butterfly. That's what makes I mean, it for women. That, that is. Yeah. It's the same exact mask. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's harder. And, you know, I've said that to a lot of women that I've diagnosed with sleep apnea, when they come to me frustrated, like they're trying, trying really hard to treat this. And when I tell them, Hey, listen, it's, we can, we can do better. And we just need to work harder on finding a mask that actually fits your face, the anatomy, but you, you do have smaller structures than what a lot of these masks are made for. And there's like this sense of relief, like, oh my gosh, okay, I get it now. All right, now I know what to ask for and what to look for. Right, excellent. You had also mentioned, which I've actually had a few questions from our, our listeners on and, and haven't had any answers for them about restless leg syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, is that more common in women? And is it more common in this age? I don't know much about it. Yeah, so um, there it 
it does, there is a higher prevalence in women. Uh, there are genes associated with restless egg syndrome and up to, I believe in the latest, there was a latest review article that said that up to 50% of people, it may be inherited, but there is also this phenomenon that if women uh, have children, uh, the more children they have, the higher the likelihood is for them to have restless leg syndrome. And it may be due to some form, some form of transient iron deficiency while they're pregnant. Huh. Um, so it's it can be def, a definite disruptor in a woman's sleep. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with um, just the 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 iron stores and dopamine. There's this whole balancing act around movement. And uh, what the latest literature is saying is that what we really need to do is really focus, get move away so much from thinking about prescription medication as the first line of therapy, but really focusing on um, things that can exacerbate restless leg syndrome. So certain medications can exacerbate restless leg syndrome. So one of those is SSRIs, which Mm. are antidepressants. So those can certainly exacerbate. So you have to kind of like balance it. Okay. So I mental health, restless leg syndrome. So maybe timing of your medication might be helpful. Like if you take it mostly at night, maybe trialing something in the morning. Also, you know, those medications are all different, even though they're under the same family of of medication. So maybe switching to something different might provide less symptoms or exacerbation of symptoms. Caffeine exacerbates restless leg syndrome. Alcohol exacerbates restless leg syndrome. You know, if you, if you happen to smoke, I mean, all these things uh, can exacerbate restless leg syndrome. And we want to make sure that we're touching on all those lifestyle pieces that might be able to have some big impact. But then the other piece is really just focusing on your iron stores. Hmm. And that iron store that that lab to ask for is ferritin. So it's not typically ordered uh, all of the time. A lot of times when you're doing the first pass of iron deficiency, you're looking at uh, a few other things, but not typically ferritin. And some of the latest research is saying, you know, ferritin should be on close to a hundred. And when you look at normal ranges, it's a very wide range so it can be in the teens all the way, you know, up to like over 50. That's kind of the normal range, but it's not abnormal to have it over 50. And in fact, what some of the data is, is showing is that your iron stores, your ferritin levels should be closer to 100 if you have restless leg syndrome. And then there's a lower threshold now for iron infusions. So if if people have very low ferritin levels, there's a, a little bit more of a push now to, uh, to treat it more aggressively with an iron infusion because there are much safer methods now um, on um, iron infusion. But so, so that's the, the more, much more focus. And then they kind of differentiated, um, you know, uh, that some people have intermittent restless leg syndrome. We, we didn't, never really used to use that term all that much. Uh, and, and then kind of moving to prescription medications after you've kind of exhausted all that replacement of, of iron, but yes, it does occur in women more. And it may in fact, even occur in women who have had, uh, more than one pregnancy. And it's probably not something that comes up that often in 
a, in an office, in a clinician's office around what might be causing you not being able to fall asleep or stay asleep. So again, it's that piece where women will present generally with, I have fragmented sleep, not getting enough sleep. I'm waking up in the middle of the night. And it might in fact be this. Do you, do you, do you feel it? Like, I, I do not know how this presents. Like what, what is, what are the symptoms of this? So as I guess what I'm asking, like, like are your legs actually yeah so it feels like uh one one way to describe it is creepy crawly you know feeling in your legs uh, it and, and in a truth it, it actually could be in any limb sometimes it's in the even in the torso but basically it's an urge that builds that is uncomfortable does not hurt because pain is is not really associated with with this uh, but it builds you move it dissipates and then it builds right back up. And it is truly a conscious phenomenon. So a lot of people will say, I have restless leg syndrome in my sleep. Once you're asleep, it's a it's semantics, but it's something different. It's called periodic limb movement. Um, and those can or cannot bother people's sleep. But more importantly, restless leg syndrome is something that happens when you're awake and it's preventing you from getting to sleep. Other things would be like if you're watching a movie or you're on an airplane or a long car ride, people will have those type, the, the, those symptoms of restless sex syndrome. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, and that is different. Like this, this phenomenon, which I have, uh, especially if I've been very active I and mean, there's two things that might happen. What causes that sort of buzzing, that low level buzzing that you can have in your legs? Um after like, you know what I'm saying? Like after a very hard effort. Yeah. Yeah. That can also make it difficult to fall asleep. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, you know, I don't know, that could be a variant or a variation of something like this, because, uh, you know, certainly in runners, we know that there's a lot of good evidence showing that ferritin levels tend to need to be higher and that there's iron loss. Right. And so, you know, runners who are, who are serious runners, uh, or certainly if they're competitive, um, coaches are always talking about ferritin levels, right? And that you need to keep the ferritin levels high. Well, maybe there's that. The other piece might be just be due to muscle fatigue. It might be due to like some misfiring. You know, I'm, I'm not sure what causes the buzzing, but my thoughts would be around the fact that it could be related to some form of muscle fatigue, or it could be related to, you know, you need to boost up your ferritin levels or do, do, does anything help it like magnesium or other, you know, do you, have you tried other things? I haven't, I haven't tried those things. Usually if I, um, if I do some mechanical recovery processes that will help mm-hmm. it, you know, before mm-hmm. bed, whether that be like the squeezy legs or the, you know, mm-hmm. any of those things that sort of would physically help my muscles to start the recovery process. I could, I could totally see how that would help because you're maybe it's lactic acid buildup. Maybe that's what it is. Who knows? But yeah. that's a great question that I don't really know the answer to. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and this is not, this is, this is a, just a fun question before we move on. Like there is that phenomenon, like I will sometimes start drifting asleep and, um, I will immediately start sort of riding my bike in my sleep and veer towards a tree and jolt and like both my arms stick out and I grab my brakes in my, you know, yeah. like in my sleep or you yeah. hop, like what, what causes that? 
that that's just a fun question yeah no yeah that sounds like what i would call a hypnic jerk so kind of uh, you know other people will say that they're it feels like they're falling yes all of a sudden yeah i have that that, sometimes too yeah it's it's just one of those phenomenons of uh your body transitioning into one of the four sleep stages but it's typically that first stage of sleep where you're going from stage one to two, or you're drifting off from wake to stage one sleep, people will often have those hypnic jerks. And for some people, it's really significant for other people. It's every once in a while. And it's, it's just the way that, you know, it's one of those interesting things, how our body, how our brain is trying to get us to that restorative uh, component of sleep, of deep sleep, because really it's REM, REM sleep that is the, the, the biggest stage for, for kind of cleaning all the waste products out of the brain for the day. Right. Right. So then let's speaking of, um, well, it's not a segue, but just going into other things that disrupt sleep. Uh, we, we need to talk about hormonal issues, you know, and, and perimenopause and, and menopause, because that a hundred percent becomes a disruptive place in women's lives when it comes to sleep. So, um, Talk a little about about the impact of of these hormone fluctuations on our sleep. Well, so there is some data that is emerging. Certainly, um, there still needs to be a whole lot more uh, done. But really, the study of uh, women's uh, health across the nation—that's it's called a Swan. If you've heard of that, you know that's really what uh, where a lot of the data is coming from. And then there's another. Um, acronym called straw uh, stages of reproductive, what is it reproductive aging workshop, that's what it is. So it's basically studying um, all aspects uh, and of of a woman's uh, life. But what I've been focusing on clearly is like sleep and, uh, you know, studying people in a sleep lab, across the different you know, different ages. So, uh, you know, if you're menstruating, if you're perimenopausal, if you're postmenopausal, and one of the things that often comes up, and that is such a, a tough thing for women to deal with is, is the hot flashes, right, is night sweats. And, you know, the, you know, the latest data, you know, clearly shows that it's the hormonal shifts that cause this like central sympathetic response in this vasodilation. And there is an association, there's data now finally emerging, because previously, there was data that said that it wasn't really associated with insomnia and middle of the night awakenings, uh, that nobody, and I think it's because we weren't paying attention to the, to more of the specifics around women's, um, changing hormonal levels and how long it might take. Right. So now we know, right. Perimenopause can take a long time. Right. And also studying somebody's sleep for one night doesn't tell us a whole lot. It's, it's just like taking a picture. So there's data now showing that maybe we should be looking at, uh, at repeated sleep studies over time to see whether or not there is changes in what we call wake after sleep, uh, 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 which is WASO or, um, arousal index, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and also the stages of sleep that people get into. So the, all of those change as we age and w- 
the the nice the the good thing I guess or the I have like this sense of relief is that some of the the latest data is now indeed showing that yes hot flashes are associated with more arousals with more middle of the night awakenings and so that's good data because then it it gives women it gives clinicians then the opportunity to say hey maybe we should be thinking about actually you know treating this. And how do we want to treat these hot flashes? And then that's a there's a whole gamut of how you can do that. And you've you know clearly, clearly you've had a lot of a lot of guests um, on this show talk about all of those options on how you can treat the hot flashes. But I think it's it's just a another a, another plug to say you know get get the help that you need. Don't suffer. Yeah. Don't yeah. do not suffer in silence. And your insomnia might be multifactorial. Like you might have insomnia. Yes. Because you have, you know, so you had some experience happen good or bad that shifted your, the hypervigilance in your, in your sleep. And there is this association. So it, the hot flashes were kind of, I think getting ignored because many people were thinking that, well, women are having insomnia because they have this hypervigilance in their sleep from something else. But, you know, there's plenty of women that I have now seen in my own practice who said, you know, I did fine up until I hit menopause. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You hear that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, we should be focusing then on, okay, what are some treatments? What are some ways? And, you know, we, there hasn't been a lot of advances yet on, on other than the traditional methods of, you know, um, hormone therapy, um, which isn't a bad thing. Hormone therapy is an excellent option for people. If, if they have that conversation with their clinician around, um, benefit versus risk. Right. Uh, but then there's, there's also supplements now that can be helpful. Um, uh, and now, you know, there's a lot of consumer driven stuff like cooling sheets and right, right. <laughs> there's all kinds yeah, of things very interesting can, things. Yeah. The chili yeah. pad. That's one of those things, <laughs> you know, but the point is, I don't think women have to continue to suffer. And there's plenty of data coming out now that says that we should be seeking help. There's also medic, other types of medications that are out there that are prescription medications that also work for hot flashes and actually do a pretty good job at reducing those hot flashes. Uh, and those, the, you know, it can be, uh, SSRIs have been shown there. Uh, so has uh, a medication called gabapentin. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not like these are forever medications, but they can certainly improve your quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny to me that it would be even something that wasn't like those dots seem very easy to connect when you wake up soaked on sheets that would be disruptive to your sleep. Yeah. But, well, but not everybody is soaked, right? Sometimes okay, you just get a enough. wave, right? Yeah. No, Sometimes, I mean, I would wake up like, yeah, I had just been doused with, I mean, water, I could feel water running down my back, like that kind of soaked. Yeah. Not yeah. everybody, not everybody has that. And maybe, maybe it's much more subtle. And then you're told that you have insomnia and then you get treatment for insomnia when in fact it's something else. Right. So that's what I see in my office is I see women who have been suffering for a while, years sometimes. And when, you know, I have the opportunity to hear their story, I'm like, huh, this is, this is, a different organic process and it's your hormones. <laughs> well, 
Well, and in, and interestingly, like a little tangentially to that, um, one of the things that would happen that I hear very often and that I experience would be like the the two thirty three a.m. The world is ending. Wake up call, which was very new during that stage. She like literally waking up with my heart pounding, like what is happening? It feels terrible, and that is which will t- I want to talk about some of these supplements and stuff because you know, I know it's all equivocal, but CBD really did seem to calm that down. And it was, it was, and it calmed me down period. Like whatever that free floating anxiety I had, it was daytime too. It wasn't just two in the morning, but two in the morning seemed to be the favorite time for the lions to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that, but I hear that a lot in this audience. Like they've always slept well. And now suddenly like wake up in the middle of the night, just with very bad anxiety. Yeah. I hear you because I'm in my early fifties and um, this started happening to me, I, I, uh, you know, in my very late forties. And I remember somebody said, well, at least you had, you know, 47 anxiety free years. And I was like, well, BS, F that dude, you know, great answer. Thank you. Bunch. I'll spend the rest of the 47 with this great yeah. middle of the night anxiety. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Very much. So, so yeah, certainly CBD. Um, there is a, a new kid on a newer kid on the block. It's been around for a, a while, but CBN, so mm. cannabinol, which ha- is kind of like, a you know, when you look at the chemical structure, it's like broken down THC. So it has a little bit more psychoactive effects than CBD, but it's gaining a whole lot of uh, traction around the fact that it may have some impact in insomnia. And so that's, that's promising. There isn't a lot of data out there yet. There's much more data on CBD um, versus CBN, but, you know, I, I find, you know, when this, when, when marijuana and and became legal, there was a little bit of trepidation in me personally, only because, you know, people in the United States, we just don't do anything a little bit. We do everything a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, you know, we, we do everything to the, there's not a lot of moderation in, in our culture. And, but yet there's, but the, now there's all this great data that is really uh, looking at all of the medicinal benefits of some of these medication, some of these supplements. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there's potential now. And I really think that there, the thing you have to watch out for, just like with all supplements is how good are they and how clean are they? Right. Yeah. Yep. Cause there's no regulation. Yeah, no. And you have to do your own homework of trying to find, you know, the certificate of analysis. And is that a good certificate? I mean, there is a lot of hoops you have to jump through to make sure that you're getting a good source for sure. Don't buy it at the gas station. Don't buy it just online on Amazon. You know, I mean, there's 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 a lot of garbage out there for sure. And what my general like my, you know, poor, poor uh, person's litmus test for any supplement is, you know, I tell people, you know, give it a month, right? Give it a month. If, if you feel like it's, and write down, what are you trying to solve? Write down, what am I trying to, to solve here? What are the symptoms that I have that I'm trying to improve? And then, you know, maybe track it. You can either track that every week or every other week, but by a month, have some sort of data for yourself to say whether or not this is working for me. And do you want to see a 25% improvement, a 50%? What's going to make it 
you know, um, worthwhile for you to continue to use something. What are your thoughts on, you know, and it's been in the news quite a bit because of its use or maybe overuse in kids of melatonin? Yeah. So melatonin is, you know, hormone and, you know, it's really not recommended to use long-term because, you know, the way that we make it in our body is, is not how it's sold as a supplement. So there's a, a couple of studies that I don't particularly think have strong evidence, uh, but higher doses of melatonin. So like three, five, 10 milligrams of melatonin taken at bedtime can make people sleepy enough to fall asleep, but really it's made in our pineal gland and it's released on average around four hours before you actually fall asleep. It's a clock starter. It's not really a sleep aid. Right. And I mean, it's made in picograms. It's sold in milligrams. It's like 10 to the sixth greater power. We don't need a whole bunch. So again, what I tell folks is it's, I would say it's okay to use for a short period of time, but I'm not convinced that it's, it's a completely harmless to use long time, long term. Do we know why? Like I've, I've looked, I've tried to, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, but like, what are the ramifications and do we know? I don't know. Um, and I, and I did also try to do some research on why we, why it could be harmful, but I, I don't, I don't. I don't know uh, any specific outcomes that are harmful by it. And certainly people have used it for a long period of time, but we do know that in children, you know, certainly, first of all, there's not a, the data is not robust at all in children around using this medication. Um, and for adults, there is some data that's out there uh, also not, not as robust as we would like. But it's probably best just to kind of discuss it with with somebody who's got some expertise around around using this particular because it might be very useful to use long term in a particular setting. So, for instance, when people have timing issues. So let's say you're a delayed sleeper or you travel a lot and you suffer from jet lag. Right. Those are those are times that you actually could be using melatonin and it is useful um, because it's it's adjusting circadian rhythm. It's it's realigning your circadian rhythm. And in those cases, it is it is helpful. But typically using melatonin for sleep is not the answer because there's usually some other underlying driver of what's preventing you from getting to sleep and or staying asleep. And that's what you really need to address. Gotcha. Right. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So then what, you know, I'm curious about your, you know, your thoughts on helping this audience, you know, because they worry, right? Like they hear these very scary statistics about like, oh, if you get short sleep, you're at risk of cancer and dementia and everything goes like they, you know, it's terrifying. And then, then I know people who get so scared that they are, they're up all the time. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's this very strange phenomenon. They're so, they're so anxious about sleeping. It's disrupting their sleep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. So what, how can we ease their mind maybe a little bit and help them fall asleep and stay asleep? Yeah. So, you know, if you're having trouble getting to sleep and or staying asleep, I always, I'm a, I'm clearly an advocate of seeking out some, some help and really uh, devoting the time 
to it. So I would say, first off, you know, let's let's allay people's fears. You know, if you're getting short sleep and you're not getting enough sleep, you're not going to drop dead tomorrow. But certainly there is some level of impairment. And typically it's that you just can't get through your day as as easily. Uh, if you have other chronic medical conditions, it's harder to manage them. Uh, your mental health isn't as as, you know, level because, you know, it's just harder to process everything when your brain uh, isn't getting enough sleep. Because I always say that, you know, sleep is is food for your brain. Don't starve it. So, uh, you know, I would I would say that that if you're having trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep, seek some some professional help and make it the priority. You know, spend the time investing in yourself and make it the priority because sleep is what I always say is like the juggernaut for everything else functioning well in your life. So if the, if sleep is not, if you're not getting enough sleep, then it's just harder for everything else to get managed in your life and getting enough sleep really, really helps a whole lot. The homeostasis of your whole lot, you know, of health. It, and so sleep is that juggernaut for that homeostasis of, of overall health. And your performance. I mean, we're talking to an athletic audience. And your performance, right. You know, and, and, and there's data that shows that, you know, if you're, if you're training hard, if you're, if you're, you know, in this mode where you're, you're, you know, everybody's, everybody's got a race. I'm just, tra- I'm just training for the race of life. That's what I train for. But, um, <laughs> But, you know, if you're if you're training, there's evidence that shows that, you know, you should be getting, you know, like an extra hour of sleep over your normal range of sleep. Right. Because that's when all of these different things get turned on in our body that are repairing and healing. And so if you're really stressing your body and pushing your body even more because you're training for something, then sleep, you know, that's that's, you know, one of the key components to helping you improve your performance. And that's why I think sleep's kind of taken a, 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 an important role in a lot of, um, certainly in a lot of uh, professional, uh, ap- you know, professional athletes, uh, teams, they, they consult sleep specialists a lot now, especially if they're having to travel like to different time zones or, you know, at the Olympics, certainly there were a bunch of sleep specialists at the Olympics because, you know. Oh, that was rough because they're halfway across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. So how 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 far in advance do you have to get there? Yeah. How do you help normalize the sleep? And how do you how do you normalize the performance, you know, with the sleep so that then they're they are ready, ready for that day? Right. Right. Do you have any thoughts on sleep tracking? Yeah, there's so sleep track. I wear a sleep tracker and I feel like it's not very, um, it's not very, uh, accurate. I think that's the Garmin. Yeah, I have a Garmin. Yeah, it doesn't, it hasn't, I can send, I don't know if you saw the study, the Garmin didn't, didn't come out as well. I am very, the, I wear this aura ring and I find it when I, when I look at it, I'm like, I did get up and pee there. I was dreaming there. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And it has, 
made my sleep behavior better a hundred percent. Well, that's, that's great. I, and so I, I, I would say tracking devices are a great adjunct, but what I have found is that for a lot of people, unless you do your research and you start reading in depth into whatever you're using, um, the way that they acquire the data is quite variable. Mm. And, and the, and then it's also like, what are the norms? Like, where are they basing the normal day? Like, you know, right. Like we need some, we, we need some norms for middle-aged women. Right. Yeah. 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 So that we could like dial it in and say, well, I'm in this age group and I'm this, I identify as this gender. So this is where my tracker should be tracking for me. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, these are all nascent, right? We're just in the beginning of this. I imagine, I don't imagine, I know that there are definitely some of these devices working exactly in that realm, right? Trying to break it down by gender, at least. At least by gender. It would be really great if it was by, you know, for women, at least what stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so, you know, to kind of go back to your question, I think that they're great that uh, they're really helpful, helpful for trends. What right. I find clinically though, is that they drive people's anxiety. That's what I was, in, that was, what I was alluding to before. Like if it makes you anxious about it, things take it off, <laughs> take it off. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, let's go back to like that good old perception. So I always ask my patients, how many hours of sleep do you think you get? And I always cringe a little on the inside when say, well, when I hear somebody say, well, my sleep tracker says blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to know what you think. Not because perception is half the battle. If you feel like you're getting pretty good sleep. You are. You, you probably are. Right. Like if I, I wake up and I'm not, I don't need an alarm and I feel good. Like I slept well. <laughs> you know, right. It's a good night. Yeah. Right. But if you yeah. feel like you slept well and then you look at your watch and it says you got 30 minutes of REM sleep only poor sleep score, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, yeah, but uh, yes, there's, there's uh, I think there are a ring. It, it does a pretty good job. I, um, I know for certain that there are, are more wearables on the horizon that are probably going to be coming out with newer technology and more, you know, we're just going to start drilling it down so that it can be more accurate probably. And, and more, you know, personalized. I want personalized data. So I use this more for like when I'm biking or running or swimming, doing that. I don't really use it so much for sleep or respiration or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But I would love to be able to have something that, that is personal that I put a date, you know, my data in and it personalizes it. Yeah. What do you think about you? You talked about some of the other um, apparatuses for, for sleep that they come up on our channels too, like the chili pad, like some of that stuff. Um, anything to any of that stuff that you think is useful for someone who really does struggle? Yeah. I mean, I guess if it's one thing that I'd like to make sure that we we make, make it really close. There's a lot of noise on the internet. Oh yeah. So there's a lot. And I would, I would say that there's a lot of consumer driven products to help people with sleep. It's kind of, it's like the, what do I call it? I like, it's the, the hidden um, agenda or, you know, like the, there's that diet culture, right. That's mm-hmm, billions mm-hmm. of dollars. Well, the sleep consumer piece is like right behind it to me because yeah. you start, you know, 
trying to find things to help people sleep and it's all over the place. In the end, it's all about um, personal ex personal experience. I don't really think that there's anything out there like there's no, <coughs> excuse me, there's no pillow that's going to work 100%. Um, there's no pad or sheets that are going to work a hundred percent. Um, there's, there's few things that I think are slam dunks, um, that definitely are going to improve sleep. Um, there is work though being done around, uh, like noise, sound, a sound, uh, stimulating parts of the brain that are for relaxation. So I would say that there's some good evidence around like those apps uh, that are for calming and reducing, um, excuse me, reducing that anxiety around sleep. Um, and then there's some data coming out around using like devices that, that are sending, sending different beats to your brain that induce sleep. I would say that that that's burgeoning evidence. There's burgeoning data out there that I think is going somewhere in a positive direction around helping setting the stage for sleep if you're having trouble with insomnia. Um, but it's very new and it's it's and it's in its infancy and it's probably cost the things that are out there on the market are pretty much cost prohibitive for most people like these headbands that you can wear, you know, they're hundreds of dollars. What were you going to say with the slam dunks? Oh gosh. I, I don't, I'm trying to think I'm trying, what's a slam dunk? There's, you know, I, yeah. I mean, slam dunks are kind of like things that are for free, which is like setting, like, you know, that you don't have to buy, like setting the stage for sleep. You know, it's, it's probably over-talked, but underutilized. So there's a lot to be said for making sure that you're actually setting the stage for sleep and giving yourself that time to wind down. Just like uh, one of my analogies is, you know, when we're hungry, we don't just, most of the time, we don't run into the kitchen, open the refrigerator and just start shoveling food in our mouth, right? So why like think that all of a sudden we can go from, you know, 60 to zero and fall asleep? Right. So, so set the stage for sleep. And I think they're, you know, simple things like the one big one is getting off electronics. Electronics are so stimulating, even though there's all this, you know, well, I'm using like the nighttime, you know, yeah, all that BS. It's it, nothing, nothing. It, it pales in comparison to just saying, I'm not going to shine light in my eyes because in our eyes, there's there's ganglion cells, which are these nerve cells that stimulate the brain for wake. So you're just confusing your brain if you're using light, televisions, computers, I, you know, pads, you know, iPads, uh, phones. So it's really stopping electronics, ideally an hour before you go to bed. Um, don't work up until you have to, until you say, oh gosh, I should go to sleep, you know prepare yourself for sleep. Do, do give yourself that shower, develop your rituals. You know, people have different rituals. I've always put my night clothes on or I always brush my teeth or enjoy washing my face or whatever. Don't exercise super heavy and then try to think that you can go right to sleep. Very few people can do that. Don't eat a giant meal right before you go to sleep. It's that kind of basic stuff that's for free that we don't really pay attention to. 
Yeah. And there's no, yeah, there's no question though, that that, that kind of stuff works. And there's so much, I mean, there's so much that's actually kind of free out there too. There's, they have like, I kind of laughed when they had these adult sleep stories, but I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I'll try it. Cause I like, I always have a best night's sleep. If I go to bed a little early, lie there, read my book until I start dozing off. Right. Like that's sort of just like a classic, but sometimes I'm still like racing. So I tried like, okay, this is kind of silly, but I'll put on my headphones and try this sleep story. And I never got through the white bear, the great white bear started. And I don't even know how the (laughs) white bear does like three, three minutes into it. I am like, so out that it's, you know, every night I never got to the end. I would just be like, yeah, it worked. You know, it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of, and earplugs for me. I actually, I did a sleep study in Cornell for a story for fitness magazine. And and when I got up, the woman was like, you are up a lot. I'm like, I just am. You know, I'm like, that, that, that's how I've always slept. She's like, eh, that's not really great for your architecture. And it's just that I was super like, I've, I hear like I, I'm very sensitive to outside stimulus. And she said, why don't you try earplugs? And it changed my life. That was 10 years ago. And I, I, I panic if I don't have them now. Like, it's the only thing because I, I, it's like my cone of silence. I'm like ready to sleep. I put them in and I'm like, boom, I, it is amazing. That's, that's great to hear because that's an easy thing, low cost. And there's a ton of different kinds of earplugs. So I like it when people say, no, I can't wear those. I'm like, well, there's a whole bunch of different kinds for, for different, different ears Uh, wearing an eye mask. I mean, something as simple as an eye mask, especially like where I'm living, you know, I live in the Northwest and, uh, it's light out really early now. And if you don't have blackout shades, you better have an eye mask if you're that sensitive to light. Yeah, I am. So, you know, yeah. eye masks, earplugs, um, turning the lights out, keeping your room on the cooler side. These are like simple, easy things to that can actually make a pretty big, dif- pretty big difference in your ability to get to sleep and stay asleep. Is there anything that you thought before this conversation to talk about that we haven't covered? Um, One of the things I would say is that medications, you know, if certainly if it's around hormonal changes, medication may in fact, but in my heart of hearts, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of medicine as the first thing to jump to. So uh, when we think about uh, chronic insomnia, one of the biggest things I could uh, like a public service announcement would be there is no medicine that is truly going to help anyone with chronic insomnia. The only way that you can actually treat chronic insomnia is with cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is really focusing on the hypervigilance in your sleep, uh, not not getting ready for sleep because most people who have chronic insomnia, they're masters at getting themselves ready for sleep. All those things that we just talked about. It's that hypervigilance in their sleep that they are have are struggling with. And that's exactly what you yeah. have to focus on. So there's no medication, there's no supplement. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, personally, it, it, it breaks my heart when I see patients who come in, who are again, literally spending hundreds of dollars on trying to get themselves to sleep. And they'll say, well, no, 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 I take all this stuff and I blah, 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 blah. I take it at this hour and this hour and this hour. And I say, but you're here still talking to me because it, it's it's clearly not working. So I would that would be my public service announcement is that if you have 
Chronic insomnia, which by definition is the inability to get to sleep and or stay asleep at least three times a week for at least three months, you need, that is a priority. You need to get in and see somebody to really focus on, on what is driving that insomnia. You are probably the third or fourth person that's brought up um, cognitive behavior uh, therapy for sleep, like for insomnia. That has come up a number of times. Uh, To break it down briefly for women, what actually, what do you do? Like what, what, what is that? It's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty um, simple protocol, really. It's around addressing uh, the, the behaviors that are, that are causing you to be stimulated in your sleep. Um, and it's retraining your brain. So the way that I describe it for people is that your brain is, is using a particular neurologic, a neural pathway of, of this hypervigilance, and you have to retrain it to learn a new highway of getting to sleep and staying asleep. And it, it focuses around, um, what we call stimulus control, which is a very sterile clinical term for associating the bed with sleep and intimacy only. So spending a whole bunch of time awake in your bed just confuses your brain. So it's focusing on that. It's retraining your brain to improve what we call sleep efficiency, meaning if people think that they're having trouble sleeping, most people will give themselves more time in bed and expand their sleep time. And that's, I know it's counterintuitive, but it's actually, you need to compress your sleep. So restrict your time in bed and tell your brain, I'm only giving you six hours in bed. So you better make it good. Because if you give your brain nine hours in bed, your brain's like, awesome. I'm just going to be awake even more. (laughs) Sophie Bostock, Dr. Bostock talked about that too. She did a really nice thing about that, that the compressed. And she said, she mentioned that she has great success with that, you know, working with people. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and then of course, addressing what are those drivers? Like, is it, is it mental health? Is it pain? Is it another, some other kind of, of, of issue in your body that's driving that, that wakefulness. And I always tell people, uh, because Uh, most people with chronic insomnia, it's been going on for months to years. So I always say, this is not a couch to 5k. This is a couch to marathon. This isn't going to happen overnight. It is with diligence and, and a few months. And I try to, I try to paint that picture. Like, you know, let's say you're 55 and you've been struggling for 10 years. I often will say to a person, you know, six months of hard work to set your, your, the next decades of life up for some good sleep is okay because you've been struggling for 10 years. Right. Right. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. And you had mentioned maybe in one of our emails or, or, or offline about, you know, trauma, because you, you keep using this word hypervigilance, you know, and, and, I've done shows with some people here where they talk about ACE, you know, like the adverse childhood experiences and how past trauma rears its head sometimes in, in exponential ways during menopause. I mean, there's been studies on that, which seems to me could also be one of those factors that is causing that hypervigilance, even if you don't know it, perhaps in sleep. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yes. So it recognizing that, and, and that takes somebody, 
who who's skilled to kind of pull and tease that out sometimes for people. Um, I, I feel like that's where, you, you know, sometimes being your own advocate and saying, I need to, I need to like investigate this. I need to figure out what is going on in my sleep. And I've had, I've had a 70 year old woman uh, who had insomnia for decades because of a traumatic experience when they were 22. Wow. I had, I've and did it, it get resolved? resolved? Tell me it got Absolutely. resolved. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> because uh, you have to kind of give yourself permission to let it go. And sometimes if you can just do that, give yourself permission to let go and say, hey, you yeah. deserve better. You deserve. And I often will tell all my patients that, hey, you deserve to get better sleep. Tell yourself that you deserve to feel good. Yeah. You deserve to not be worrying all night all night long. Yeah. This comes up a lot for our audience too. You deserve to fuel yourself. You deserve to eat. You deserve to take a couple minutes to relax during the day. <laughs> like there's a lot of, um, a lot of permission perhaps that we don't give ourselves that is, uh, exacerbating some of these conditions, yeah. especially this time of life. Yeah. Excellent. Well, you've heard it. You now have permission to uh, make this a priority. Right? Absolutely. You deserve, you have, you deserve to get good sleep. Absolutely. Okay, that's our show. Come on back next week when I welcome back Dr. Corinne Men for a full show by popular request on the special needs for early menopause, whether due to cancer, hysterectomy, or premature ovarian insufficiency. This one is chock full of wisdom and advice. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. 
I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap.